0: Welcome to Our Next Existence by Katie and The Chorus. I'm Katie, former technology strategist turned reluctant spiritual medium, and I channel messages from The Chorus, a group of beings just beyond our sensory perceptions who are loving, expansive, and who greatly enjoy sharing their perspective of us. Join us each week as we share and discuss their ideas about humanity's existence, purpose, and future. Concepts you can draw from to accelerate your path, expand your perceptions, and ultimately step into the flow of the universe and your life. I'd like to kick off this episode with an example, and I'm going to exaggerate the case to make a point. (laughs) Over the last two or three episodes... And really, the whole season, we've been talking about time and the way it affects or integrates itself into all aspects of our beliefs, particularly the idea of linear time, or said another way, the idea of limited or scarce time. There are actually many ways to look at time from a linear fashion, but more often than not, the way that five senses humanity looks at linear time is from an aspect of scarcity. You could say five senses humanity. You could also just as easily say earth-based of this point in time humanity, (laughs) however you like to define it. Over the last three episodes in particular, we've been making a more specific point about the way in which we as humans can identify this difference in a felt, energetically perceivable way when we come across other beings. So to draw out this example even more, I'd like to pretend that you and I are standing on the field as usual or out in a park somewhere open. And some spaceships, aliens, however you define it, beings from not here start to come down out of the sky. And this time they're coming down quickly in a hurry. Maybe there's all sorts of other chaos happening And so in some of our other examples, it's been like a nice floating down, (laughs) a little bit expected, a little bit friendly. And let's throw a little more chaos into this example, a little bit more of what we might say is unpredictable or equally perceivable as a threat. We have often talked in this day and age as a society about what we call the fight or flight impulse. Impulse. And there are now, you could say, a few variations of this fight, flight, or freeze sometimes people talk about. This bucket of terms and of concepts relates to something that we call the reptilian brain or a part of us that is or seems to be purely instinctual and responds very quickly to a situation, perhaps even faster than we can cognitively process in a way that holds meaning. In a situation like I'm describing, in an example like this, what do you think might happen? Let's say we're standing among a crowd of people and all of a sudden these things start coming down out of the sky in a hurry. Do you think the crowd of people would stand there and contemplate what it is that they're looking at or would something else happen? Now, if you're a five senses human... This is practically a ridiculous question because most of us can already imagine in our minds that crowd of people turning around and running away. The fight or flight instinct would come into play quite quickly. And when something that unknown, that chaotic, that fast moving is coming at you, there is, as we would say, no time to contemplate what is happening. You have to move. You have to get out of the way. You have to essentially protect yourselves. Now, what would happen in that instance if we were the embodiment of a different perspective of time, one in which it is not scarce and it is not lacking and we have complete control over how much of it we need at any given moment in time? Would that crowd of humans feel like they need to run Or might they pull on the lever and slow everything down, giving our five senses perspective more time to integrate, to perceive, to intake the new energy of what it is that we are collectively perceiving? Taken from this perspective, the reptilian brain, or the fight or flight response, as we like to call it, may have more to do with our embodiment, our aspects of linear time, than we might have previously supposed. Yes, these things are all woven very tightly together and integrated. So there are, of course, at play, beliefs about prevention and protection and risk and out of control. Many of the beliefs and emotions that we talked about in season one of this podcast. However, all those things might play out very differently if the humans in this scenario felt like they had an infinite amount of time. I don't know that I'm the best at following or embodying this advice yet. (laughs) I've had a lot of experiences over the last six months of recording this season in which I found myself turning and running away even before I realized I had turned and run away. Often it wasn't until I reflected on the experience that I realized how quickly my body had been set into motion in a way that seemed practically beyond what I was conscious of in that moment. As I've continued to hang out with the chorus, however, and we've continued to, of course, explore all these aspects of time that we embody here, I have found that very gradually, gradually, Those parts of me have relaxed. I'm not as aware of time passing, how long I think something will take, or even an urgency to get to the bottom of what it all is in the way that I was before. Many of you have heard me talk over the two seasons about sort of the collection of mysteries that happened to me and how I would have to sort of file each one away and continue to move forward. Over time, this concept became something I called the suitcase, that as we each have unusual experiences happen to us, there's only so much processing we can do before we have to sort of put it in the suitcase and keep moving on with day-to-day life. As my suitcase got heavier and harder to lug around, I inevitably had to take something out of the suitcase, talk about it, process it, accept that it had happened. Recently, I was driving in the car and I was marveling about how much I have stuffed into the suitcase over the last several months (laughs) and not had to take out. But it didn't feel as heavy, it didn't feel as burdensome, and I definitely didn't feel as much of a pressure to unload it as I had in years past. And then it hit me. I realized that another equally valid way of looking at this concept of the suitcase is that the suitcase could also be construed to be a concept of time. Currently, in our group consensus, we have a shared idea of how much we are able to hold within ourselves consciously in any moment in time our ability to forget is practically the main construct of our experience here right now in the five senses reality. Our ability to see, to recall, to interact with the aspects of the game which we allow ourselves to see and interact with is largely defined by how much we are able to remember. If you were able to remember all your lifetimes, when you passed me in the grocery store, I might not be a nameless face. If I were able to remember all the things I did and said five years ago, I might not be repeating them without realizing that I am right now. If we were able to recall the centuries that we taught ourselves, different and similar things what we say to each other today might be very different and might be an evolved version of what has already been done, said and accomplished if we collectively remembered what we invented centuries ago our inventions of today might surpass them all the first step was quite naturally having these experiences that we each have had and putting them in a suitcase and forgetting about them. The second step is remembering that they're in there, so much so that they make us uncomfortable, that we just got to take them out and talk about them. And the third step is to live wholly connected to everything that is in that suitcase, to everything that is connected to you across all points in time in which you have resonated. Our ability, and yes, it is an ability to forget, has been part of every aspect of this game and our ability to remember will unlock it all. In the first part of the episode, you'll hear directly from the chorus themselves, and then afterwards, we will discuss. Enjoy. Loved ones, there is not much left that we need say about our perspective, of your perspective, of linear time. For we sense within you a pivot, a shift, an understanding in which you are now coming into your conscious recognition of all that you have created and built and all that you will share with us. There is no rush, there is no hurry, as a human would say. We have all the time, collectively, in infinite creation to cherish these things that you have embodied here. The love that you have long sought is an aspect of ease into the infinite where all things are possible in each and every instant. It is the knowledge that all is freely given by love, by creation, by the forces of the universe. You know somewhere within you That none are meant to be without, that somehow it was a choice made to be without, to experience that possibility. You have been without conscious connection to many of your parts, pieces, histories, loved ones, and friends. And now, that the barrier of time is dissolving, you will find that in each moment you are able to live the expansiveness of lifetimes. The potential of the universe will feel like it can fit in any moment of time because you are at long last expanding back into the full potential of the universe. In these times of change and flux, you may return to this understanding and this frequency at any moment. Your ability to recall and remember this possibility, this concept, is yours. It is a tool in your toolbox, an ace in your sleeve, and as you are able to reconnect to the frequency of possibility that this message and these ideas represent, you will find that in those moments, doors of possibility open for you, new ideas, new solutions come to you things that practically reshape the idea of what is possible in that moment in time before your very eyes. You are seeing the universe anew. And we are so looking forward to being seen by you. We love you infinitely. This is the season finale. said it up front in the finale last year, because as you all know, I really hate being surprised by a final episode. <laughs> it just feels a little unjust. But the import of saying season finale feels less this year. It just feels like I know the conversation's going to continue. I know we'll be back. I know there's a lot more to say. In some ways, book three is already being written in my life. It just, it's going to continue for all of us. It'll keep expanding. Those fears that I used to have, no matter how subtle, about things ending, things being over, they're all quieter now. It all seems a little funny at times that I was so certain about things coming to an end the idea of a goodbye. As you all know, several months ago, we moved across the country from Colorado to Florida. And it was very difficult to say goodbye to a group of friends that I have there. And so it was wonderful a few months later when they all came out to visit. And then it was pretty funny a few months later when I went back out to visit and now, in a couple of weeks, just by a series of chance events, we're going back again. <laughs> and it's almost feeling a little funny. I'm almost a little insecure about it. It's like, we're back again. <laughs> Remember that teary, heartfelt goodbye I gave everyone? Well, it's, um, we're still here. <laughs> It's just not ending in the ways it used to. I know that some people are feeling this, particularly about loved ones that have passed on, are feeling their presence in more ways, ongoing ways, are understanding the permeability of that veil. I attended a funeral service this morning, actually, and it just felt different. I grieved for the people in the room for their sadness. I shared in that resonance, but the idea of death felt completely different to me. In fact, it didn't really feel like a goodbye at all. Sometimes I think about times in my life where I got really angry with a friend or a friendship. And then that friendship ended. And now it feels kind of funny because I'm practically convinced that I can run into anyone at any point in time at any spot on the planet. (laughs) And so I think back on those more dramatic times of my younger life in which something was over and I never wanted to see them again. And I think to myself, where did I think I was going? Like not only do we all live in the same galaxy and, and on the same planet, but I mean we lived we lived in the same county. <laughs> We're all still here with each other. These barriers will continue to crumble and fall all over the human experience. The transparency that has begun, that many of us have started to recognize, will be continuing. For some, it will feel unnerving and very out of their control that the perspectives that they tried so carefully to control and to manipulate are now breaking free and are forming their own opinions of everything that happened. The carefully curated stories and imagery will feel harder and harder to sustain. For others, this will feel deeply refreshing. This kind of authenticity will feel welcomed, life-giving, opening, and promising. To be able to be ourselves in any situation will feel like a relief. And then to have the divine begin to pour through that openness, those open doors in our hearts will become revolutionary. I don't know if you felt it in today's message, but the chorus made a handoff. They said, well, we have shared a lot over these podcast episodes this season about our concept of time and our concept of your concept of time. And we've also written an entire second book about our concept of time, which Katie is completely dragging her feet on. (laughs) More on that in a minute. And they said, now it's your turn. Now we want to hear what you think about all this. This coincides with A lot of experiences I've been having over the past few days where I am just no longer as interested, as desirous of outside perspectives and the way that I have been practically insatiable about over these past few years. When I started channeling the chorus, it just felt like I had so much to learn. There was so much about the universe that I just frankly knew I didn't know. And now, nearly nine years later, I'm coming back around to the idea that maybe I did have things to say at each of those steps. You may feel like you're new to these ideas of time that the chorus is expressing, the way it integrated into our embodiments, our beliefs, our emotions. And also, from another equally valid perspective, we are the ones who are creating this right now, moment by moment. There is no better master creator to interview about this than you. I think the next question for many of us is, but, but then what do we say? What do we have to say about this? What needs to be said? Which is often a reflection of our way of coming around to something new by way of responding to a lack. And that would be the opposite of what the chorus is asking for. There's nothing missing here. There's no deficiency that needs to be made up for. They look forward to hearing our perspective from the joy of creating for the purpose of creating itself. They want to know what we have to say about this purely for the fun of it, for the expression of it, for the open experimentation of it. At the start of this podcast season, I channeled for you what I would call an extraterrestrial group or collective. Often they call themselves the Federation, and there's a portion in the second book in which they introduce themselves directly to to you all, to the readers, future readers, I continued to communicate with them right up until we were ready to leave Colorado. At times, it was very difficult. I felt like I was stretching all my abilities to keep a handle on reality each time I connected to them. It felt so close to my own frequencies as to be potentially very impactful on my frequencies. And there were times that I felt like I was really losing a grip on my reality. I have to say that when it came around time to leave Colorado, I was ready to take a break. I understood that in some way they appreciated the opportunity to connect with a conscious human in our collective and understand our perspectives. And I wanted to be helpful, feels good to a human to be of assistance, but also it was starting to feel like a little too much to handle especially with everything else going on in my life at the time. So it was with great relief that at one point, as I'm channeling them right before we're about to move to Florida, they give sort of a farewell. And I thought, oh, good. I'm feeling that too. We're all on the same page here. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) And then they said, we'll see you soon. As you can imagine, this threw me into quite a state of sudden fear. I ran right up against a limitation of my beliefs at that point in time. See you soon hit across many of my beliefs that they could be physical and not just channeled that I might see them with my eyes in person, which raised a lot of questions about how that would be possible and who else might be affected. And it also seemed beyond my choice. It kind of grated a little bit. It was a little annoying that they had some plan for when they would see me, they had some idea about how they were going to pop into my visual perception. (laughs) And that I didn't. And not only that, but I hadn't really asked for it. I wasn't yet in a perspective of being able to recognize those sensations within me. In fact, the fear over what that was going to mean for my life really took center stage. And I had to shove it into the suitcase as quickly as I could because I was literally shoving other things into suitcases in those days. It wasn't until we had been in Florida for a couple weeks that the evening sensations of anxiety returned full force, which by that point I had come to recognize was my in that moment perception of an energy that I hadn't quite figured out how to integrate yet. It is often an uncomfortable feeling where I have felt like I want to run from something, but I don't know what, and I want to just face something and deal with it, but I equally don't know what. (laughs) And so I usually find myself at the bottom of some television episode or potato chip bag. But this time, I recognized it more clearly than ever. And I asked the chorus who I was perceiving. And they indicated in a sort of loving way, that some of these beings, these closer to my frequency of my game board beings that I had been communicating with were in close proximity and were eager to meet me. In some ways, I was like, well, okay, let's get it over with. (laughs) In other ways, I was sort of like, now? Really? I mean, I was sort of just settling into Florida. We were just beginning the search for where we would live. just if I had had a choice, didn't seem like the best timing for me. This continued for several nights, and the feelings of anxiety were intense. Sometimes I would turn that into channeled sessions with the chorus. Sometimes I would just breathe deeply. Sometimes I would avoid it entirely. But it was a little harder to avoid in the same way as it was before because I recognized what it was consciously. One night I go to bed and fall into a very deep sleep. And the next thing I know, I'm awakened in the middle of the night by a voice, is the best I would say, a real physical sounding voice, not a loving wave of concepts and understanding like the chorus communicates. This felt far more physical. It wasn't necessarily something you would hear in the room, but it was something that reverberated in a physical way, if you know what I mean. This voice as I awaken or as it awakens me says, get out of bed and go outside. Before I could even consciously recognize that there was a voice waking me up in the middle of the night, I responded with, that's a terrible idea. He <laughs> was practically unconscious, came out of me, full embodiment, And I said, there could be mosquitoes out there. I might wake up my son. That's an awful idea. And I rolled over and went right back to sleep. The next morning, I woke up. and was sort of coming back into the room, looking at the sunlight and other things. When all of a sudden, I remembered what had happened the night before. And I immediately turned to the chorus and said, holy shit, who told me to go outside? What the hell was that? What happened? And then most importantly of all, seemed to me to be the question of, did I miss an opportunity? It seemed like the most critical question, as odd as that sounds. It was sort of like, it happened, it's over, it's done. I don't know anything about it. I have so many questions, but crucially is that an opportunity that I have now lost forever? It was an aspect of time. It was an aspect of scarcity. It was an aspect of lack of control over being able to revisit opportunities. It was a completely human expression. And the chorus replied, nope, nothing has been lost at all. And then they added, with sort of a chuckle in the loving, loving, loving way that the chorus does where they think something about our game has become particularly amusing, they said, you're learning about choice. And so are they. Now, I don't know why this also struck me as funny, but it kind of did. Because I realized that from the chorus's perspective, whoever I had said no to, I, as a human had said no to (laughs) and not only that i got the distinct sense from the chorus that they were not accustomed to being told no somehow this comforted me and over the weeks that followed if there were nighttime visitations i don't remember them the feelings of anxiety came and went particularly as i came down with covid a couple weeks later and i could tell that there was still something unresolved There was still a visit, an encounter, something that had been assumed, perhaps, by others that was still not taking place. Even as I recognized it, I didn't know what it was, and I didn't know how to take action on it. And most days, I felt completely comfortable in my choice. I had enough going on. I was dealing with very physical things, and honestly, I just didn't feel interested in taking on any more spiritual or unknown or wackadoo stuff. Weeks passed, and as you know, we moved between several different rentals while we were trying to find a place to live. At one point, my husband and I were very sick of cramming all of our things and toys into little apartments, and so we decided to splurge and rent a house. We finally felt like we had landed, that there was a house that was quiet, that was ours, that we could pretend was ours, at least for a little while. It felt settling and reassuring and we were very glad to be there. However, it wasn't long after we arrived there that the energy just started to feel palpable, different, impending. Almost as soon as we arrived, I felt, perhaps you could say, exposed in a different way. The feelings of anxiety returned And continued most acutely for several nights in a row until one night I woke up in the middle of the night around 2 a.m. Usually I have some idea what has woken me up, but this time I didn't at all. I just laid there in bed and tried to sort of feel around energetically the house what was happening. And I got a distinct sense that my son was afraid. So I got up out of bed and I walked down the hall. And as I did, I saw that there were lights, very, very bright lights, shining in through his window from the top of his window and moving around. He was sitting up in his bed, crying and looking at the lights. As instantly as I saw the lights, a knowing sensation reverberated through me. And I said, oh shit, they're here. And equally in that same moment, I was well aware of my son's fear and that I wanted to assist him and resolve it. It was right at this crossroads that I recognized the ability that I had developed through the years of meeting all sorts of different beings with the chorus, having to deal with all sorts of mysteries that I couldn't explain, that I had a musculature. I had an ability to take something that was deeply unknown and a rising terror that was starting to come through me and just let it be. I acknowledged it, deeply understood it, appreciated it and moved on. It was an expansive moment, almost. It was an expanse of allowing parts of myself I didn't try and fight the terror, but I also didn't pay much attention to it. I had a higher priority in the room, huddled in bed in front of me. The next few minutes, I'll be honest, are a little bit of a blur. I know that I started to say soothing things to my son. I told him that maybe it was the neighbors having a party. I knew that he knew that I could didn't necessarily believe that, but I also wasn't going to not investigate. I walked closer to the window where the lights were shining in, and at this point, the lights had expanded or brightened or come closer, or I don't know how to explain it, and they were now shining in through the window across the stair landing in front of his room. Rather than open up the shade in his room, where I was afraid that the There might actually be something outside of his window and I didn't want to scare him further. I instead crossed the landing and said that I was going to look out that window to see if the neighbors were having a party. I opened up the shade and the lights were blinding, blinding in a way that's hard to describe. They were below, they were above, they were beside. It felt like they were engulfing the house. I remember a slightly humorous moment where I held up my hand to shield my eyes from the direction that I thought the light was coming from, and it did nothing. I was as blinded as before I had put my hand up in front of my face. (laughs) I sort of found it funny that that didn't work. And an interesting reflection of what it was that I was looking at but I was also still very much focused on the priority of soothing my son. Having confirmed that it was absolutely, in no way landscaping lights from next door or anyone's party, I pulled the shade back down again and went back to sit next to him on the bed and put my arm around him. It was also around this time that I had sort of had enough with this experience. And I remember sending up the channel to... I don't know who, but it was the same channel I had always used with the chorus, I guess, that I was done with this, that this had been enough and I needed whoever it was to leave. As I put my arm around my son, the lights went up above our house and disappeared. We didn't sleep well the next few nights. I found this interesting. I've had so many encounters on so many other wavelengths besides the visible ones. And yet when I had the encounter I did on visible wavelengths of light, I was affected in a new way. I felt very vulnerable. I felt like I hadn't made a choice. I hadn't asked for that. I hadn't participated in it. I had no control over it. And worse than anything, it had in my eyes, disrupted, perhaps even damaged, a member of my family that I loved. At this juncture, being a channel, there were probably several options open to me that I could have considered. I could have reached back out to the ETs and been like, what the fuck? (laughs) I could have complained to the chorus. And in some ways, maybe I did, but mostly I asked them if we were safe. And they said, absolutely. And I asked them sort of to help me understand what was happening. And they suggested that many of the energetic connections that I had made over the years were now finally trickling down into the five senses. I felt their loving assurance, their trust over everything I was manifesting. And I relied on that a lot through those early days. And on the flip side, I was a human and I was a mom. And so I did the best I could to talk about it with my son. We told my husband together. We've talked about it since. I've assured him that we can always talk about things that are unknown, even if we don't know what they are. We've made jokes about the panels of floodlights that we're going to install on the roof of our house. So the next time the lights show up, we can shine our lights right back and blind them too. (laughs) It's kind of like an unfortunate version of an eye for an eye, but it felt funny to us at the time. And then we did what humans do. We moved on. But we didn't forget. Not a few weeks later was the hurricane. It's interesting because after what you might call the UFO over our house, I expected that something else major was coming, but I expected it to kind of be in the same domain. (laughs) I don't know, another spaceship, more spaceships, I don't know, more lights, I guess I should say to be more specific. It got to the point where every morning I was waking up, rolling over and grabbing my phone to see if it, quote unquote, had happened yet, even though I didn't know what it was. When the hurricane happened and afterwards, that sense of anticipation greatly subsided. I felt like I didn't understand this sequence of events nor several other things that happened in the interim, but that it was done it had happened, that there was more to come, but there was a closure of sorts. A time period had passed that, I don't know, maybe was important to somebody, but was sort of unrecognized by me. I felt like I had made choices that surprised some of the beings that I had been with, and not in a way where they were necessarily surprised by my behavior, though they were It surprised them in a way that it reflected to them beliefs that they held about humanity. Sometimes when I connected with the ETs, there was this certainty about how things would go down, about how this was all going to take shape. There was definitely at times a sense of hierarchy, that they knew better, could see further than humanity could. And I won't argue with that. But I'm not sure that the extent, the breadth that any being can see or not see is a foundation to believe that they're fundamentally better or worse. Humanity has been blinded by choice for a very long time. And I wonder some days What are the races we have taught about their own beliefs and their own prominence and their own evolved, more expanded state by coming against humanity, believing you know so much more than humanity, and then by way of interacting with us, suddenly seeing those beliefs that you held without even knowing it. As an awakening human, that's something I can relate to. The chorus mentioned to me once that awakening is a wave through this dimension of all belief holders that have ever existed in the universe. That is quite a wave of awakening. It goes way beyond our idea of a planet Earth. And sometimes I've wondered if there are what we would consider to be godlike game players among them. Perhaps even beings who feel like they have created vast parts of this game board. What an experience it would be to think that you are omniscient, the top of the food chain, the best there can be in the universe only to discover that your entire identity, which hinged upon a galactic-sized hierarchy, is simply a belief in that hierarchy. Sometimes I think about humanity and everything we're awakening to from this very dense, very limited place, and uh, it's not easy here sometimes. But then I wonder, what must it be like equally to be one of the less restricted members of our game board, to think that you know it all, do it all, can be it all, have evolved, have earned your stripes, are better than others, only to discover that you were having an experience of profound understanding of the concept of being better than others. I don't know who I said no to that night. And I don't know who I told to leave when the lights arrived over my house. There was a part of me that felt bad. As strange as that sounds, there was a part of my human being that felt guilty. (laughs) Like I should have participated. I should have met them in the middle. I should have done something. I needed to do something. Perhaps they needed me to do something these beliefs went on and on. And after the hurricane, they all softened. I didn't understand much of any of it, but I felt like at least I was able to hear my preference amidst the chaos. Now, as with any story I tell, you are not required to believe anything that I'm about to say next. All of these examples, all of these anecdotes are simply about exploring a different energetic frequency, simply about the feelings, the sensations, and the preferences that are born within you by way of hearing these things. Shortly after the hurricane, we moved again into another big condo complex, this time down by the beach. We were thrilled. It seemed like the final step, the final move we hoped before we found our long-term home. We could even see the ocean from our balcony. It felt magical. It felt like we'd finally gotten there, gotten through it. I don't know. It felt like the start of a new era. I was also still grappling with a sense of directionlessness that started after the hurricane, and I was beginning to pass into a void, as I discussed in either the prior episode or the episode before that. Energetic sensations also began to come through much more strongly to me. I was sensing things in new ways. I was having spells of vertigo. I was having acute examples of sensing other people's emotions. The chorus was coming through louder, more clearly than they had before. I felt more at ease with where I was. I also felt like every time I turned around, I might see a new dimension. It was expansive, rolling, wonderful, and terrifying. Amidst all of these new sensations, something interesting started to happen in the evenings. The waves of anxiety that I used to get when, well, Nothing was really happening in the five senses world around me. Still came and went, sort of, but mostly they went. I didn't really have them as much as I used to, in the sense that they really turned up and turned up strongly. Instead, what I found was that there was a new sound in my environment that caught my attention every time. It was the sound of helicopters. Shortly after we moved into this large condo complex by the ocean, I recognized that every few nights, helicopters, or one in particular, I should say, would go up and down the coast and around our condo complex. Now, this would be extremely easy to dismiss because now we were down by the ocean And people pay to have sunset helicopter tours and just helicopter tours. There's also police in our area that fly helicopters. There's all sorts of reasons why helicopters might fly near our condo complex on a regular basis. What was different, however, was the sensation that the sound of the helicopters caused within me. And not every helicopter certain helicopters on certain nights got me very agitated. So much so that I felt like someone was clanging a bell inside of me. I would stand up, go to the window, see if I could see them, but mostly I was afraid and mostly I was not interested in whatever this whole thing was. I remember one night in particular The helicopter circled over our condo complex in particular, multiple times. And it was that night that I realized I really couldn't dismiss this anymore. I was too terrified to ask the chorus what it was about, but I knew that this reaction I was having was meaning something. At first, I thought maybe it was a past life. Maybe it was something I was just recalling or was getting triggered by by the sound of helicopters overhead. But then I started to realize that I was not the only person that they were starting to bother at this juncture. My son was also becoming affected by the sound of the same particular helicopters on particular nights. Interestingly enough, As much as the helicopters sparked within me an emotional reaction, typically by a day or two later, I would forget about them. It wasn't until the following week or the week after when the helicopter would return that I would then remember how agitated I had been by the prior helicopter. I also started to forget how frequently it was happening until one day after we had moved into our new house. I was flipping back through my calendar looking for a date of a particular appointment and realized that I had marked on my calendar one of the nights that the helicopter had flown overhead. It was far further back than I had realized. At that moment in time, I did not entirely recall the helicopter, nor did I think that it had been going on for that long of a time. Also, sitting in my Newly acquired home, I realized that I had already heard a helicopter fly over the house one night, had become anxious about it and had also forgotten that encounter already. This astounded me because I have had many experiences over the years with the chorus, some that I know I have forgotten, many that I recognize miraculously I have not. But this was a very visceral Five senses experience, and I found it interesting that I could forget it so easily. A few nights later, the feelings of anxiety returned. My husband was tucking in my son for bed, and I went into our bedroom and climbed under my favorite weighted blanket. As the sound of the helicopter approached, it was as though I almost knew it was coming that night. And this time, finally, I was able to open to the chorus. I didn't exactly ask them about the helicopters. I asked them about what was going on. I asked them about the physical sensations I had been struggling with. I asked them about, well, kind of everything else. (laughs) And finally, by the end of our few minutes chat, the helicopter was directly overhead. And I was able to actually get a little curious about it. And I asked the chorus, what are they looking for? And the chorus replied, well, they're hopeful. And I just couldn't ask, hopeful about what? It just felt too close to home. So I let it be. A few nights later, the helicopter returned. I was able to get curious and ask the chorus again, what is it that they're looking for? Why are they hopeful? I was both astounded, disbelieving, and understanding when the chorus said, they're looking for you. I didn't think I was that hard to find. (laughs) Particularly for what I assumed were some sort of energetic beings Quasi on my game, quasi not, probably more expanded than most of us humans. And the chorus replied, well, they're looking for an energetic identity. And I understood in that moment what the chorus was expressing. That for those of us who are very specific humans, we rely on physical expressions to identify others. The way we look, the way we sound, the names we're called, the places we've lived the addresses we have, but that for other beings, it might feel more accessible and also more dependable to look for an energetic identity of someone. And that if you were trying to find them over large expanses of time and place, that it might even feel like a more rapid way of identifying them. And then I realized something important too, that I had a choice in that energetic signature. That when I was afraid, and when I turned away from those helicopters, I was, to some beings, unseeable, unfindable. Maybe there was an idea that I might be in a particular area, this particular time, but where within that area seemed like an energetic question to ask. And I understood in a new way what the chorus has been saying this entire season about opening, about curiosity, about allowance, that it's not just a pie in the sky enlightenment sort of concept, but that actual connections are more possible when we open in an energetic way to others. As real, as physical, as turning on your beacon. This was a very powerful understanding to me. And in that moment, just to be sure, I asked the chorus how I would let them know what would I do. And the chorus, in their true-to-fashion, said, whatever you're inspired to do. I didn't know what I was inspired to do that night. (laughs) So, more time passed. And a few days later, when the helicopter came back again, I was sitting on the couch by myself, and this time watched as my anxiety rose even before I could hear the sound of the motor, watched as my anxiety continued now as I could hear it approach. And instead of turning away this time, I stayed open to the noise an open curiosity. That's all it was. It wasn't anything more complicated than that. It wasn't a mantra. It was something I did. It wasn't a place I went to. I didn't climb on the roof. I didn't anything. I just sat there and stayed in a very open place. Because I was in that open place, I could hear the chorus the entire time. (laughs) Sort of just chatted with them as the helicopter came overhead and started to circle our neighborhood the way it had done so many times already. And this time, I felt something click into place, is the best I can say it. I felt recognized, seen. I felt a connection. That's all. Just sat there open and curious about the helicopter, taking in every sound, every possibility it could be, open to whatever it could represent. And then I felt it. The helicopter sound went away. I mean, I guess I could say that it flew away, but I'll be honest, I don't have a memory of that. I just have a memory that I knew I was recognized. And I was sitting in front of, well, a pile of boxes strewn all over the room on our couch, sort of down the way from our glass front door. There's a gate that's supposed to be at the edge of our courtyard in front of the glass door, but it's broken and we haven't fixed it yet, so it's still open all the time. We live on a quiet street on the corner, and so I can sit at the couch and look through our glass front door out to the corner of our street, which usually is unremarkable because there's not a lot going on in our neighborhood at night. However, within a matter of minutes, after the sound of the helicopter went away, I turned my head and looked out the front door and even asked the chorus, what am I looking for? And the chorus, in their loving fashion, said, you'll see. Within a millisecond, a car pulled down the street and turned at the corner where we live. That car slowed to a stop and stayed parked right in the direct line of sight of my glass front door, and not for like a second, as in like a neighbor drove by and realized that they could see across your yard and into your front door, but several seconds—one, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand—and I asked the chorus. I said how can they get from a helicopter down here so quickly? And the chorus described several interesting things about differing beliefs about time, many of which you've heard here in this podcast and we'll see in the book, and also some interesting new ideas about many different concepts of distance. And so somehow made a little bit of sense that if you believed those things, it might not be a big deal to suddenly be in a helicopter and then down in a car. And I realized that they were surprised that I was looking still at them. The car pulled away, a few days passed, and I didn't forget any of this. And the next time when the helicopter sound started in the distance, I felt a small degree of hopeful anticipation. I asked the chorus, they're back? The chorus said yes. I said, okay. Anything I need to do? The chorus said, follow your inspiration. I said, okay. Recognizing that I didn't really feel like Dealing with the helicopter in that moment. <laughs> so instead, I went to the bathroom, brushed my teeth, and I guess the helicopter was still circling overhead. And when I was done with all that, I felt it. I felt the open curiosity return to me, the inspired notion to go outside and look up. So I pulled open the slider. And even though all of this had happened, was still kind of surprised that the helicopter was in fact right over my house. I stood on my back patio, looked up and simply in that same spot, turned around as I watched the helicopter do a circle right over my house. It went around me once, went around me twice and then took off back in the same direction from which it always comes. And I knew that they felt satisfied that I had chosen to be seen and I had chosen to come outside and see them. You know what I marvel at the most? How much in the early days I felt that I was always running out of time. I felt breathless and hurried by all of these mysteries. (laughs) You can almost sense it in someone when they start to tell you a story about the unknown. The speech speeds up. Your heart rate increases. Their heart rate increases. It's our shared collective understanding of scarce time. A reaction to new energy pouring through that must somehow fit into our constrained reality. But that's changing because we're changing. The beings that want to be seen will linger. The friends who are delighted to rediscover you will find any and all ways to hang out until your curiosity guides you to them. We are surrounded by so many friends so many beings who are curious to see what we have to say, to understand why we created what we did, to celebrate our return to the frequencies from which they come from, to savor with delight the stories that we will tell them and that they will tell us. In the beginning, as these connections come through to you, it may feel like, an inconvenience, or an interruption amongst the busy days that you have planned and the things that you feel must be done over a given period of time. As your understanding evolves, it may feel like the universe is too big and there are too many mysteries to be understood in any amount of time. And beyond that, is an understanding that we don't need to fit any of these relationships or understandings or information into our definition of time. But rather, not only are we expanding into those perspectives, but the times in which they inhabit too. Under the light of these new acquaintances, the reforging of these relationships, rekindling of ideas and connections that we gave up and are now finding again we will expand in our identity of what it means to be human because it is our sense of belonging that has grown you and I and them and we all Belong together in this infinite universe across any and all moments in time Thanks so much for listening. We hope you found these messages to be helpful. May they accelerate you on your path wherever you'd like it to go. For more information on The Chorus and I, our podcast, book, or how to get in touch with us, visit katieinthechorus.com. Thanks again. See you next time.